0: I'm joined on Football CFP today by Jamie Hoyland, a, a, a man who's been around English football with Man City, Bury, Sheffield United, Burnley, Scarborough, amongst a few others as well. Thanks for joining me, Jamie.
1: It's my pleasure, Callum. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it.
0: I want to start by talking about Bury Football Club because we all know the circumstances last year. You appeared on the radio um, as well towards the what we think is the demise of the club. I know there's been recent reports that say there could still be hope there. Just how gutting was that news last year about Buddy when it came through for yourself having played at the club?
1: Um, very, to be honest, because I didn't think it was going to happen. You know, there's a lot of talk about it. There's, there's been a lot of talk about a lot of clubs going out of business and they never have. Um, and very close to my heart, even though I started at Man City, I went to very to learn to be a professional footballer under Martin Dobson. I know that sounds silly, but I played men's football there. And that set me on my journey again to, to get where I, where I eventually was in football. So <clears throat> as much as I didn't earn much money there, I didn't, but I learned playing in front of the crowds and, and, and everything about it. My kids were born there in Bury. I, I still live around the area, even though I'm a, I'm a Sheffield lad, I've, I moved over here. Um, and it, it was such a close-knit, close-knit place. I mean, even when I was going back scouting last season, a lot of the people who worked there when I, I played there were still at the club, still working and, and getting on with it, and that's the sort of club it was. Unfortunately, a mis, mis, misrun, mismanaged, and um, a tragedy when, when that happened that night. I would, in fact, I, it brought a tear to my eye, I must admit, when it said that they'd they'd gone out of the league because I just couldn't believe it.
0: What was it like playing at Gig Lane? Because as a ground, I just hope the Phoenix Club can get access to the ground at some point if that's the route they go down, because well, it's a great venue. Well,
1: I can tell you, Cal, when I played, obviously I was a young player, and you could walk round. So first half, you could stand behind the net, and second half, you could walk all the way round to the side, to more or less round the other side, not behind the goal. Because So you, when I first started, I got abused both sides of the ground. <laughs> so first half, they used to give me sticks. And then second half, I used to walk other way and give me stick there. But actually, the pitch was the, one of the best in England. And we had a manager called Martin Dobson, who was a legend and my mentor and everything. I'd go back with Dobbo a long way. And, and he wanted us to play football. And the pitch then, I mean, to believe it or not, the day I started at the club, Michael Curtis, who's the groundsman now, started his apprenticeship at 16 year old. So he goes back and and the pitch was like a bowling green. It was unbelievable to play football. And it was it was brilliant. And it was a great place to, like I said, to be a footballer, because you could hear everything. All the stick you got. So you had to have big broad shoulders, uh, take it and 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 it learned about it. I mean, great times as well when it was full. If we got 6,000 there sometimes for the big games, it used to be a great atmosphere. The lights as well, when I played there, were the worst ever. <laughs> so, we'd play some teams in the cup. QPR, I remember, playing one night, and they were top of the old first division. And they had Terry Feeney, Paul Parker, Les Ferdinand, David Seaman in goal. And we beat them 1-0. But they couldn't see a thing. It was that dark, <laughs> and it, with, the, with the lights, we managed to, we managed to beat them, but... It, like I say, it was a fantastic learning curve playing there
0: and, and something which has always, always will be close to my heart. Something I want to ask you about before we come to Martin Dobson and his impact in your career is, is Neville Neville. I mean, did you commit into any contact with him during your time there? Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny because obviously Neville was there, a uh, larger than life character, and we, we,
1: we couldn't believe his name was Neville Neville, to be honest. You know, I mean, calling your son Neville Neville, I mean, where did that come from? But so we used to have a great laugh with Nev, um, and then he had two sons, Phil and Gary, who used to come to all the matches. And even at a young age, I used to be—I wanted—I always knew I wanted to be a coach because on the field I had to tell people what to do because I couldn't run that quick, so I had to get them to do stuff for me. And I used to go and coach Barry, like Barry Juniors, not Barry like the town team, but a team called Barry Juniors on a Friday night, and Gary and Phil in a in a hall somewhere in Bury, and Gary and Phil used to be there and, and join in and everything. So I've known them for a long time, known the Neville family. Tracy used to be a waitress at the games on a, on a, on a, on a Saturday, like she were probably about 13, 14 then, Tracy. Obviously, Jill, the mum, was a secretary, and they were a very football club. Um, so, yeah, yeah, Nev was great. Nev was a, a, a larger-than-life
0: character, and, uh, you know, God rest his soul now. Before we come to your time at Burry and talk about it more in-depth, I wanted to start with that, as I say, because of the situation and around the club. And I think it's important to, to highlight just how much the club meant to former players like yourself and the fans. But to rewind, if we can, you came through at Manchester City in the 1980s, slightly different to the juggernaut that Manchester City are globally now. But what was it like?
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, I'm a Sheffield lad. Obviously, we'll talk about Sheffield United, I think, later on. but. My dad had played there and t- I, I couldn't sign for Sheffield United because I was going to be compared with my dad. So who was the best place to go to? And I went all over the place. I nearly signed for Chelsea, but the Hyde, Bar- Hyde Park bomb where, the, where it blew up down there, my mum said, you're not going to London. So that was off. And then I went round a few, Forest, Leeds, Everton, and then Man City just had this feeling about it that it was just unbelievable. Ken Barnes was Chief Scout. There was a bloke, Ted Davis who, unfortunately, Ted just passed away in the last couple of weeks, not with coronavirus, another thing, who just made you feel absolutely like this is the club for you. There was me, John Beresford, my best mate, still Paul Simpson. We came through together and it was just a, a fantastic time, just brilliant. We had Tony Buck, Glenn Pardo, who were two legends who, wow, they did not put you through it, especially Bucky. And still the best players when they joined in at their age, they were, they were unbelievable. And it just had that thing. I mean, still, I know it's not the juggernaut in terms of it, but it still had the fan base. And it was just, uh, I was lucky enough. I only played three games, lucky enough to make my debut at 17 and score. And that's another thing which, you know, Man City fans still remember me. And I only played three games. And, you know, it's a nice thing. And it's great that I managed to start my career there. And uh, I'll always be grateful for City as well.
0: Definitely. And as you've said, to score for Manchester City, whether you played three games or 300, nobody can take that away from you. And before I come to your debut, I want to compare and contrast. You're, you're, you're obviously a very passionate coach, you coach now. But when you came through, it's safe to say, the way youth players were treated was totally different to the way it is now. What was your experience like? I imagine oh. you've stories.
1: Well, it's funny because, you, like now, it's completely different. You played for your town team, you played for your Sunday team, and then he got scouted. And I went to City in the school holidays, and I went other places. And then a sign there, and we had John Ryan, who was a fullback from Norwich, with John Bond. And then John Bond left. Dreiner was brilliant. He, he, and then Bucky dropped down. Now he's the hardest man. Taskmaster, I've ever had in my life. If he walked in now while we were having this, <laughs> I'd, I'd be like, I, the airs had gone back of me neck with Tony because he was unbelievable. Even if you played well, it didn't matter. You got hammered. And um, we never had a day, I can't remember a day's coaching. I c- it was just all kickball, ball, two touch all the time. We never did any set pieces. We had a bit of crossing and finishing and a bit with the centre halves. And his, his philosophy was, well, I mean, if you said to Bucky, what's philosophy? You wouldn't even know what it meant. But all right, that's the the buzzword now. It was all about, you know, you learnt by playing and you had to be mentally strong. And I'm sure some of the lads now, you know, um, we, we look back on it, me and Paul Simpson talking about it all the time, and you just think they were horrible to you in But actually, they made me have a, a great career. And so Simo, by learning the tough way, yeah, all right. People say probably wrong what they did and how they treated you, but it's a tough old game football, and you have to be mentally tough. Tr- mentally tough because there's a lot of there's a lot of downs as well as a few ups in a lot of people's careers and they made us they made us good human beings as well you 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 respected everything you did we had to clean all the dressing rooms and if Bucky came down at four o'clock and he'd run his finger across some uh, sill a door sill a window sill if there were bits of dust he'd go back upstairs and say see you at six o'clock and you had to like tidy up again for another two hours but you did it and you made sure you did your jobs right off the field and made you sure you did your jobs right on it and as a team we didn't realize it that but if somebody was slacking not doing the jobs off it you had to pull up, you made sure they did it so on a Saturday it was easy to do that as well
0: is that something you think's went out the game now, in the sense that the academy? I know, obviously, maybe not going back to the levels of extremes yeah, from years yeah. ago, but that idea of from a very young age, you're pulling your teammates together. Do you feel yeah. that it's more individual, individualised now? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's all about
1: the individual. Oh, listen, then it was like there were individual players. We all had to play well to get the ball to Paul Simpson on the left wing, who would put it across and, and stuff like that. We all work together to do that. Um, but now a lot of kids just think about themselves full stop. And unfortunately, football, you can't be one person. There's 11 of you. And I think a lot a lot of that. And also a lot don't realise, don't appreciate what they've got. A lot of kids are going go to academies from five years old. By the time they sign at 16 to come in, it's all, it's, it's all done. It's, they've seen everything. Yeah, they've had the nice kit, the nice pick. When I when i signed at 16 man city i was going to, it was like coming to disney world to be in dressing rooms and go on a training pitch and see the first team it was like wow all i want to do is get in that first team dressing room and train with them or get on that pitch to train with them and not take anything for granted i think that's gone out a way of it is it a good thing is it a bad thing i don't know people will argue both ways uh, i know i'd i'd do it but then they you know i i did do it as a coach but um that, that's changed a lot now.
0: It has changed a lot, but something that really interests me about yourself, Jamie, is the fact that you mentioned you make your debut at 17. What was it like when you started just training with the first team? Because I imagine as a young kid, it's, is it nerve-wracking get in at first or do you back yeah. yourself?
1: Well, I never did back myself. Even when I got my moves later on in my career to Sheffield, I didn't think I were good enough. I didn't think I were good enough then. And, and probably time was right that in the end when they got released at 20, I wasn't good enough to play at that level. So it was always that I wasn't a cocky, arrogant sort of person. I was like, whoa, wow, what am I doing here? I'll try and get on with it and do my best. So um, but it was amazing when when you'd get the call over and go and train with 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 the players that were over there. You know Acer Acer Hartford was around at the time and what a what an absolute brilliant not just a player but a gentleman and how he made you feel and talked to you and stuff like that. Just, just little things what you remember about some of the senior players and how, how good they were. They demanded of you, but they only demanded because they saw potential in you the and they wanted you to reach that.
0: What do you remember about your debut? and When you're named in, in a squad, just just describe that feeling as a young player at 17. <clears throat> um, well, a long time ago, but... Uh, like I say again,
1: like Disney World, it's just like, wow, I'm, I'm first thing, This is just like naming the like everything about it, they, they call your name out. And then when, I mean, listen, my debut when I scored the goal was only in the cut like what's called now, is it the Caribou Cup, which was whatever, I think the Milk Cup then or something like that. And against Torquay, Derek Parlay and Jim Tolmie were two Scottish centre forwards. Derek, another absolute gentleman. He'd scored an hat-trick and they brought him off and I went on for the last 10 minutes and I was just running around and like, wow, this is brilliant. We're 5-0 up and Paul Power had a shot from about 25 yards. Goalkeeper spilled it and I'm there five yards away and I've knocked it in and, and you, don't, you don't know what to do. You've never scored it first team and I, I just remember jumping up and there were a picture in the Daily Mirror that the, the, the Highland Fling, the Hoyland Fling, they called it, or Island Fling and <laughs> jumping up in the air and, and and you're thinking, wow, this is amazing. And, you know, i mean, a few old city books now where there's a picture of me, Derek and Jim, goal scorers on the night, sat there in our towels and like that. And we Billy McNeil and it was just amazing. I, I, if I could still remember walking out of the main road then, the old main road, and my mum and dad waiting for me and everything. And it was just like, wow, it was just, just an amazing feeling. It didn't matter who you'd scored against. I'd, I'd played and I'd scored on my debut, which... You know, is, is, is one thing what they can't take away from me, really.
0: No, absolutely not. And as I say, whether you play 300 games for Man City or three, the fact you scored in your debut for the club can never be taken away from you. And you were there until um, 85, 86. And I'm interested yeah. to know was, was it your choice to move on or the club's? Or... No, no. no I, um, I'd had a few injuries. I'd, I'd then
1: made me, I'd made me full debut against Derby. And then end of the season, the season we were going, up, you know, Billy McNeil, brought me back in. He made me actually a centre half. I'd been playing centre forward in Caesar, big Caesar, so that I could play centre half, and it was the easiest position in the world for me. It was brilliant. But then they had a they had a um, injury crisis near the end of the season, about three or four games to go, and against Oldham. and he put me in up front, and I got a shocking tackle live on the ta- uh, not live, but it was the Sunday game. Gary Ullikin went straight through me, snapped me ligaments and all sorts came off got myself fit season after it took six months played one reserve game my cartilage then snapped so I was out again got myself fit and I thought right brilliant I, I think I was on eight I'd signed at 17 on 75 quid a week and then I'd gone to the magic heights of I think 85 <laughs> uh, two years down the line and I'd gone in to see Billy 20 year old i was getting married the year after and I'd gone in to see him, thinking, right, I want 120 quid a week, and I think that's for about five grand signing on fee. This was 1986, and I went in, went into the office upstairs, put my things down, and he went, right, before you say anything, I'm releasing you. He said, we've signed Nigel Johnson from Rotherham. Mark Lillis is coming in. Um, was it not Lillis or something? And he went, I'm releasing you. Thanks for everything you've done. You've been here since you were. 15-year-old, you signed schoolboy, but we're releasing you. We're going to let you go. Thank you. And that was it. Okay. And I just, I remember walking out. Sorry? Go on you go. And I remember just walking out and thinking, wow, I, I, I just couldn't believe it. I was like walking on, I suppose, hey, I just, I didn't know where it was or whatever. And I remember going home and ringing my mum and dad, telling Paul Simpson, who I were in Diggs, me Diggs buddy. And it was just like the end of the world for me. And I thought, what? Well, where do I go from here?
0: You mentioned where do you go from, from from there? And what was Billy McNeil like as a coach? Was he a hands-on coach?
1: Uh Caesar, he weren't really a coach as such. No, he would. Uh, <laughs> in fact, he used to go around telling everybody that he played in European Cup and that any injury that you had, he had ten times worse, and he played with that and all like that. But. I mean, as a man, as a, as like obviously a Celtic and and winning the European Cup. Wow, what a, what a guy! And it just never clicked. It never clicked. He brought a lot of Scottish in, and and it never went never went right. So, but uh, I mean, he was he was great. He was. I mean, my father met him a few years before before he died before he died, and he, he straight away asked I was and everything. And great to see I'd had a career after it, which probably showed the, map, the man he really was, uh, Big Billy. And uh, like I say, he gave me my debut. So he put my name in there on the map. So I'll always be eternally grateful for that as well.
0: Absolutely fantastic. And you mentioned you don't know where to go from there when you get released. Something that happens to lots of footballers, as we know. Mm. Why buddy, and how did that move come about? <coughs> well... Um...
1: I was going to Norwich. I went to Norwich. Mike Summerby had known somebody there, at City Link, and I'd gone down on trial, uh, done well. They wanted to sign me, but I was getting married the year after. My wife then was an Air Stewardess, and Norwich was like, wow, that's a long way <laughs> to get there and everything. So I decided I came back, and then there were a few clubs ringing, and then I had this phone call from Martin Dobson, and he said, um, "Would you like to come?" And play for Berry. I've watched you through Man City's youth, um, Man City's reserves, I really like you as a player, you, you're going on the same career path as I did, I got released from uh, Bolton, I think it was Bolton Wanderers as a kid, then he had to go to Burnley and then he got to Everton, he said I can see you doing stuff and I went yeah, yeah I, I would, he said I'm going to give you a two year contract, I'd like you to come over tomorrow to Bury and then I'm signing a lot of young players, brilliant. So I put the phone down and I remember saying to Simo, where's Barry?" Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd lived in South Manchester around Didsbury. I'd, I'd been over and played at Burnley, but you would know, always on a coach. My, my way home was a snake pass, all South, South. So I had to find my way to Gig Lane the day after uh, and uh, go in. And, and it was as quick as that. I think I signed for £100 first year
0: and £120 year after. See, when you go to to bury, obviously from Manchester City, you're going down a level. But at the same time, you know you're going to get games. At least that's the the aim of the move. You play well over 100 games for the club, score over 30 goals. Was was it a period in your career you look back on now and go, I just was in really good form there. I had a manager that believed in me, in Dobson, and and I was in playing for the fans that admired me as well.
1: I don't know about fans that mind me at times. I think they realised I weren't a bad player when I left. But yeah, I mean, like I say, it's where I learned to be a footballer, um, to grow up. And I had four years, which um, three under Martin, one under Sam Ellis, which were the best things ever to happen to me because it gave me confidence. It got, like you say, yeah, you had a, I had managers who believed in me, both Martin and Sam did in different ways. And it made me think, yeah, I can play at higher level. That's what I always wanted to do. Once Billy released me, I always thought, right, that's where I want to get back to. If I don't, I don't, but that's my goal. And Martin and Martin for three years and then Sam for one made me realise, yeah, I could get there. So, like I say, it was, it was brilliant. And sometimes you have to go down that route. Um, it's difficult now. I know it is because there's that many foreign players in the game who clog a lot of stuff up up the top. Young players can't drop down and build a career. And like Martin Dobson was there three years and we, were, we had some results we got, and, and clubs stayed with managers as well to develop things. I mean, there was me, David Lee, Liam Robinson, Andy Hill, Phil Parkinson. Um, I'm sure the, the Mark Patterson played with us there, Tony Cunningham. Different players who went on. Charlie Bishop was another one who went on to a, a really good career who we developed. And then he brought players in like Sammy McElroy, Kenny Clements, Mark Higgins, who were like the glue. They had the career, but were great pros who helped us on our way. I mean, to, to play with Sammy McIlroy in midfield was like, wow, if, if Sammy just made you look a million dollars, just by one pass. And suddenly you've got all this space and what, a, what a guy he was, you know, off the field as well. You know, he'd done everything. And you think he were the one who came in on trial when he came Sammy, he just, he just joined the dressing room and he was like, "Wow, this is brilliant!" And he he was he was superb player and superb person.
0: During the game, with the stature of the career he had, would he talk you through games and help you that way, or would he lead by example?
1: He led by example, really, Sam. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. And and the more you played with him, the more you knew what he was going to do and where you where you needed to be. Uh, so he he was brilliant in that. Brilliant and. And he, and he was fit as a fiddle still. You know, he could up and down, up and down, as well as the younger players. You know, nothing on him, but ability on the ball. I mean, he, like I say, I think he was one of the last Busby babes, I think, Sammy. I think he was like who they'd signed. And so the career he had and then suddenly playing with him was just brilliant, fantastic.
0: I'm interested to ask this because you came through City, you were a young player. See, when you leave City and you go into a team in Bury and you are now... Guaranteed is well, the wrong word, but you're now considered a first-team player. What's that like, and how do the senior pros treat you, especially because you're coming from Manchester City?
1: Um, well, to be fair, um, the senior pros then were that was Alan Taylor, who scored in the cup final for West Ham and Fulham against Fulham. Brian Flynn uh, and a few old Burnley players, Terry Pashley. and they were just brilliant pros. So it wasn't like all oh, this like upstart who's coming they were really end of their careers i'd say uh and they needed young legs young enthusiastic legs around them who could who they could buzz off and, and still get a few so it, it, martin created a fantastic team and team spirit that we we all worked together and all gone on it in fact I, I can't remember playing with anybody at berry who, who i didn't like they were all great guys and 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 helped each other for different ways. They, they wanted to prolong the career. I didn't want to stay at Berry as long as I could. I wanted to move on, and they, they knew that, and they, they'd help us do it. Yeah.
0: Playing at Buddy, scoring goals. Uh, you mentioned the fact you, uh, with uh, Martin Dobson, Sam Ellis, you had managers who believed in you, albeit in different ways. You're in good form. When Sheffield United came in, being a Sheffield boy, is it just far too good to turn down?
1: Well, I'd, I'd had four years there. Uh, I had no agent I was PFA rep so I had never I never had an agent and it was time to move on I'd I'd, I'd gone to the heady heights of £200 a week uh, and I thought right these, I knew they were interest my last season Sam Ellis took over Ipswich had bid 250000 and Sam I thought I was going just before the season started Sam I'd only just met Sam and I came in office he went Ipswich have come in for you I went right he went but you're going nowhere so, see you. I'll see you pre-season next week. And I walked out with that one. So, I knew there was interest. Uh, and then, like you could do then, at the end of the season, I wrote loads of letters to clubs to, to say, I'm available. You know, it'll be a tribunal. Would you be interested? And it's amazing. You get letters back. Sir Alex Ferguson wrote back, because obviously we, we'd we played Man U. And he used to come quite a lot to Bury, saying – Obviously, we've got players, but you'll, you'll be okay. You're gonna, you'll, you'll move on and all like that, which was a lovely thing. And then I had phone calls and Wolves rang me. Uh, Graham Turner and said, could we meet Great Bar Services? I said, yeah, no problem. So I went there. Obviously, I run £200 a week. We're having talks. And he went, right, what would you like? I said, I have got a clue, <laughs> as you do like. And he went, well, what about this? And he wrote some figures down on a, on a bar map. Passed them to me, and so this is how I know I could never play poker in my life because I just went, wow, like oh my gosh, they're unbelievable, and I think it was six fifty, seven fifty, eight fifty a week, and a signing on fee, and it was like wow, if you think I've been on two hundred pounds a week and no signing on fee, this was just unbelievable. So I said, right, they're brilliant. Let me have a think about it, and I need to speak to my wife, I need to make a phone call to Sam Ellis. So I went to the um, bar, I left the thing, went to the bar. Picked the payphone up, put me 10p in. No mobile phones then, 1990. Rang Sam Ellis and he said, uh, "Listen, there's another club in for you." And I said, "Who is it?" He went, Sheff United." He said, "Dave Bassett wants you to go over." I went, "Right, no problem." So I went back in, said to Graham Turner, "I've got to think about this," um, and he went, "No, no problem. Get in touch with me tomorrow or tonight, whatever, and we'll talk about it." I got in my car, drove straight to Sheffield met Dave Bassett wrote, obviously I knew where we were going <laughs> my mum and dad still had a pub quarter of a mile from ground went straight in and said uh, he said what, what are you looking for so I thought well I'll put a bit more on each of them figures and uh, he went to the secretary came back out and said yeah done and I'd signed I'd I agreed within two or three minutes of walking in Bramall Lane well,
0: that's incredible Bassett's a I big don't... character what was he like to deal with Oh well um, it's funny because
1: when I agreed it when after I agreed it and signed it he went mama because he went to me you've absolutely done me if I'd known what you were on at Berry," he said I would never give you all them but because I'd spoke to Wolves I'd, I'd got a bit of a starting point so uh, yeah so he was a of deal Harry but I mean he, he, Harry was not really a coach He's, he was a man manager and getting groups of people together like you know the dog and duck, it pulled together and make him a good team, and that's what we were. You know we we, we had some characters, and it was just unbelievable. But for me to sign for Sheffield United, I mean Wolves kept coming back and offering me, I mean not hundreds more, thousands more all the time, and I, I, they could offer me anything, but I was going to play for Sheffield United, so that that was it, end of story.
0: What was it like playing at Bramall Lane? Because the club are in the first division, you're playing against good opposition, but it's a real traditional old football ground, and you see them now in the Premier League, it's a ground that can do special things to, to a team that's on form for Sheffield United. Yeah, I mean, what were it like playing? A lot of pressure, because
1: my dad played there, all my family, my friends, I've grown up a blade, i had been a ball boy there, you know. So playing at Bramall Lane wasn't a problem, because I knew what Bramall Lane is, I'd w- I stood on top, I'd been everything, but the pressure was, and, and once again I'd got the devil on my shoulder saying you're not good enough to be here and it took a long time to get rid of that um, and it was a different style of football as well what, from what I was used to you know Harry was getting it in the corners we'll have long throws and all like that I was getting down play so a lot of the time the ball didn't see me and a lot of the fans they still do so I used to go missing in game. I never saw a ball I, I weren't used to second ball and stuff so it was, it was hard but I mean, I'd never, ever missed those four years of my life playing for Sheffield United and playing, like you said, First Division then, as it was Premier League then, just to play and and some of the experience and the games I played in was just unbelievable Uh, because I was playing as a fan as well as a player. when
0: you're playing as a fan as well as a player. Does it add more pressure to your performance?
1: Uh, No, it probably adds a bit more aggression. (laughs) You know, we had four of us. There was me, Mitch Ward, Dean Whitehouse and Carl Bradshaw, who were all Sheffield lads, all Blades, playing for Sheffield United. So, you know, it was just, wow. You know, you're playing for those, whatever it was, 25,000 watching, you're playing for them. So it, it meant a lot because you're always going to get stake, you know, if you lose. And I mean, I used to play, my early time there, I used to play, and my mum and dad used to have a pub quarter the mile from the ground, the Sheldon, so I was living there at the time, because we hadn't got a house yet, um, and sorted, so I was living there, so after a game on a Saturday, I'd go back to my dad's, before he opened up, he'd have me in the kitchen and run through things with me, tell me how rubbish I were, and I didn't get close enough to know, or something like that, and dad, these are well, and, but then he'd said to me, oh by the way, can you open up, and I'd I'd open up. I'd be pulling pints for fans who just watched me play in Premier League First Division and they'd be giving me stick, like good stick sort of thing, but I'd I'd be pulling pints at at half past six, seven o'clock after I'd just played in Premier League.
0: Wow, that's incredible. And In terms of the fans, something I'm interested to ask you about, obviously working in the pub, that's incredible. But see, being a young Sheffield United fan, a young blade, and growing up and getting players autographs and idolising heroes, how proud were you when you played for the Blades and people would come up to you and see you as their hero and ask for autographs?
1: Oh, unbelievable. I mean, when I signed for Sheffield United, I had a picture of Tony Curry in my wallet signed, because he was my hero and and always had it. It's just one of them pen picks, I where I got. And so for me to sign for Sheffield United was just like, this is just a dream come true. And, and it was. It was just like, wow. It's, I'd, I'd always wanted to play for him, but we'd made the, the decision at 16 that it weren't a good thing because I was always going to be compared to my dad uh, and son of, Tom, son of Tommy, like they are in the pen picks. And to be fair, I, I always was then, anyhow. It was always started off with Jamie Oiland, son of ex Chef United player Tommy. I and mean, my nickname at Chef United was Tommy. So I never got away from that. But um, it was just just amazing, really. I mean, I, I, like the pub thing, I've got even a better one. I used to be in charge of the club, um, the players' bar. So I used to, on a Friday afternoon, so we play Man United on a Saturday, I'd have to go up to Booker's in my car fill up with, it used to be cor- like Coronas and Sols, I'd go and get them. So if we were meeting at one o'clock on a Saturday, I'd make sure i get to the ground at half twelve, get get all the beer, take you up to the players' lounge, <laughs> cut up the limes, cut up all the limes and everything with Peggy, old Peggy, who used to help run the bar, have the change for her, like that, and then go downstairs and then um, have my team meeting and go and play.
0: Wow. See, that? See, see stories like that? For me, that's what I love about football. Obviously, I'm 24, but my favourite era of football, I've watched lots of clips and documentaries yeah. back in the 80s and 90s, and see in the early 2000s, I must say as well, I think those are my yeah. favourite eras of football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, that that's true. And, and in blink
1: Island, we were playing, Premier League, we were playing against like, United or Liverpool or whatever. And then and then after the after like our players bar used to be like a nightclub. Everybody wants to be players bar because we were we were a good group. We were we, we liked fun, we liked a good laugh. But then they'd all come in, Steve Bruce, Cantona, everything and then Steve Bruce would tap me you on the shoulder as he go in and say, Have you got a crate? And you give him a crate to lager for theirs. And when you same when you played at Old Trafford or wherever, they'd give you some for yours, for your journey back. And as much as like they were megastars, Man United players, best and I and also Liverpool what a, like they were the top team at that early stages, exactly the same. Once the game had finished, bump, they couldn't wait to go to players' Bar and everybody uh, have a chat and a laugh and everybody's families and it, it, it was a family. It was a massive family. Sheffield United, everybody loved it. Like looked out for each other and everything. And like from Peggy who ran the bar to Mary and Sue in the laundry, everything was part part a part of the football club not no players were bigger than chef united um and a lot of clubs then no players were bigger than man united or liverpool you know the managers ran it in the seralics and and them saw and made sure and and yeah i I'd, I'd love to have played now where the money's fantastic and whatever but i must admit those times to play were just magical memories magical
0: absolutely and i think I've spoken to a few ex-players about this and they always say, despite the money, they wouldn't change it because of the era. And In terms of yourself, you mentioned the fact it was the old First Division, then it transforms into the Premier League in 92. What was that like? Because the exposure just went through the roof. Uh,
1: yeah, well, it did. <laughs> it, um, I mean, the, the, I remember the video, the uh, Sky, when they launched it, and David Seaman in his Porsche, and I think Carl Bradshaw and David Oers did it for Wednesday United. I think it was alive and kicky. They did the song and everything. And uh, the Monday night football with the girls and the big sumo wrestlers. And it was just this whole thing of taking off. Um, unfortunately, the money didn't come in early doors in the Premier League years. All the glamour and the razzmatazz did. But, but uh, the, the money didn't. But it was, I mean, brilliant thing. I mean, obviously, Dino scored the first, Brian Dean scored the first ever goal in the Premier League. But it does hurt me a little bit because everybody thinks football did start in 1992 and it didn't. You know, the, the, the Liverpool team before that, who were unbelievable, like with Dog Leash and all them, Russian, and them sort of players, were just fantastic to watch. The Man United teams, and, you know, they said, oh, well, that were a different era. No, it wasn't. It just didn't have all the razzmatazz. And, and sometimes it gets forgotten about all the clubs before, and it's, yeah, the Premier League years and all like that, which has been good in some ways and I think bad in others.
0: Who were the best players you came up against in the Premier League years in the, the old Division 1 uh, Some top world-class players you played a lot against. It's, it's funny, really, because the the best – I can
1: go through them all. Frank Stapleton's the best player I've ever played against when I was at Man City in the reserves. He, was, he played for Man United reserves on a night match and they brought Jesper Olsen, Remy Moses, Paul McGrath, Stapleton played and he, I was centre-half and he gave me a lesson, Frank, which was unbelievable and then when I moved on from that, Brian Robson played against me for Man United against Bury and just showed our midfield player plays he ran through brick walls castigated the referee like you've never known and I thought, how ah, can he talk to them, but he would Brian Robson and he got away <laughs> with it as I realised later on in my career, that's what they could do at top clubs, but then the best one, well, there's two, but the best, probably the best one, we played at White Hart Lane, October after the 1990 World Cup, and Paul Gascoigne. Oh, before his injuries. Oh my God, I have never ever seen anything like it. He was just unbelievable. Um, he beat four of us and then go back and beat four of us again just for the sake and then ping the ball out. And he was just, he was just a brilliant lad as well. He was fantastic. They were fantastic. So Gaza, then just after that, and probably the Premier League, then is Eric Cantona. Just unbelievable, unbelievable size of him, the presence of him, and how he played football, and how he how he played himself. He, he, one and two touch were just unbelievable. He could shift when he got going, but he got players around him to play as well, and like you know, players who were just coming through then. To, must have been to play with Cantona. Cantona must have been like, "Wow, you've got, you've got a nightclub bouncer who's who a, who a world-class footballer playing in your team." And he just, he just had that aura and that respect about him. He was brilliant, brilliant.
0: Everyone asks about Roy Keane at Manchester United and the leader and the captain. But you played against him when he was at Forest. What was it like at Forest? Because he was, he was far more uh, getting into the box to score goals at that either. Yeah, well, <laughs> I played against him in his debut, the Man U. They beat us 3-0. Uh,
1: and he scored two that day, so he didn't do bad. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he was. And obviously, he had his, what to say? He, 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 would, he was a bit of a wild lad then, weren't he, when he were at Forest and needed calming down. But yeah, he was. I mean, he just broke in, I think, at Forest. And he was like, wow, this like, raw Irish lad who could run and run and run. And suddenly he'd be like kicking one clear on the 18, 18 18-yard box. And then he'd be in the box trying to score. And he just had bags and bags of energy. As he matured at United, and, and there were other players who could do that for him as well. And Even though he did, he did it, he became a, a top-class midfield player who, you know, dictated. And like you said, the leader thing. I think that, that came on the more he matured the leader. Because obviously, as a young one, he he needed a leader. He needed somebody to calm him down, like a Brian Robson, like them types at United, Steve Bruce's, and then he took the mantle and, and and demanded off all the players and and took them again to another level.
0: What was a, a, a Harry team talk like when you went into a game against those kind of teams? Well, you know, uh, you know, Mike Bassett. Yes.
1: <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, Harry. Harry used to be. Uh, It used to be, they think you're rubbish. Well, you didn't say rubbish. They think this, they think you're that, you think this. You've got no chance, they're going to hammer you, blah, blah, blah. So it was always, we were underdogs. Right, come on, let's get at them, let's prove them wrong. So that that used to be Harry's thing with them. But we were meticulous in our detail about what we wanted to do against them. Not so much with the ball, because we didn't have it that much, but without it, with set pieces, how we were going to exploit any sort of weakness they had. I mean, Harry was miles ahead. They talk now sports science and video and uh, data. And all. Harry was unbelievable. In the 91, 90, 91 season, when we nearly down, he brought two fitness guys in. Well, he brought one in called Ed Baronelski. We called them the Chuckle Brothers. He used to come in. So we'd train. We'd train on a Tuesday and a Thursday in the morning. Then, thir- then we'd report again at four o'clock to Don Valley or sometimes at the ground. And we do sprint training, running, weights, Tuesday and Thursday. We'd be on diets, uh, like uh, eating just fruit, soup, pasta, all like this. This was 1990. And it also brought a lad called Andy Crane in, who had a video vault at the ground and watched clips with you and go through all sorts. I mean, Harry was fanatical and odds on Friday afternoon afternoons, watching clips of AC Milan defending and how they all came together. And... We'd watch it and then uh, we'd be like, yeah, but we're not AC Milan <laughs> sort of thing. But he had this he had this way of you'd watch a video for like five minutes and then, um, what's his name? Cooper, Tommy Cooper would come on and do a sketch for two minutes. And so straight away you were like looking, oh, what's going on there? And then football would be back on. So he'd take your mind away from it, and then bring you back. Instead of watching football for 20 minutes and all the lads then just messing about, it were like, oh, what's coming Like, So he had a way of doing things, getting into your mind and and whatever. So as much as he got a lot of stick for the way he played, he was years and years ahead
0: of how, how he was thinking and how the game should go forward. I've got to ask you the obvious question. As a boy who'd played, scoring at Bramall Lane, describe the feeling?
1: <sighs> yeah,
0: un- unbelievable. But,
1: <laughs> I mean... It's it's one of them when you score it and that that roar, are uh, just like wow. And, and luckily I, I did it. I did it in some important games like Man United in the cup. Even though I did it with my arm, it don't matter. if I would have disallowed it now, but <laughs> it didn't then. And to beat to beat them to beat Man United that day uh, was just unbelievable. And it, it, when I watch the highlights of that game, I still get like goosebumps. Watching it and and the, the whole crowd in, in it, and I think not even scoring, just being in a winning team for Sheffield United and, and somebody else scoring was just unbelievable. Because I'd celebrated many many goals as a supporter, so to be on the pitch and be able to do it, and and if you see the goals we score, and I'm always there jumping about and, and going crazy, because to me it, it was just brilliant being a blade.
0: Absolutely, playing for your boyhood club is something that as a football fan we can only dream of and you achieved that dream, yeah. which is absolutely yeah. amazing you go on loan near the end of your time at united to bristol city what was that loan spell like uh
1: not good i didn't enjoy it at all i didn't i didn't enjoy it it was a long way i'd never really been that far from from home as such really and i was traveling down um and i, I didn't enjoy it I, I needed to get away I mean, Bristol City, a great club, Russell Osmond was manager. Um, but I, I obviously, I knew my time was up at Sheffield United. I wasn't going to sign for Bristol City. That was never going to happen. And to be fair, it was a month to get me out of the, to get me out of the way and me out of the way. And it served his purpose. But um, I knew I, I knew I wanted to get back and, and then decide where I was going to go from there.
0: You decide where you're going to go. You go to Burnley. Now, during your time at Burnley, you've got three managers, real, full-time managers as such. Jimmy Mullen, Adrian Heath and Chris Waddle of all people. What were they like yeah. and how did they differ as coaches? <clears throat> I mean, Jimmy Jimmy
1: was passionate, uh, being at Burnley all the time. Um, you know, the, uh, he, he, he was crackers. Sometimes Jimmy had, had named 13 players. Uh, he'd get names wrong, he'd do all sorts, but... He was just passionate about, about the club, and unfortunately, we couldn't stay up the the, the the season. I went there. We went down, and we shouldn't have done really. We had a really good squad, really good players, but we had too many draws. Couldn't score enough goals, and so we went down. Jimmy stayed a little bit, and then Inchi finished up taking over Adrian Heath, um, and Adrian had been a player, um, and then he went straight to management, and... I don't know. He, he was okay, Inchi. He was, he was all right. But he had John Ward at the side of him, who was the coach. And John Ward was brilliant. Structured everything, got everybody going. And then just at the end of the season, when we were in the playoffs and could have gone up automatic, John took the Bristol City job. And that was the decline then. Because Inchi wasn't the best coach, best organiser. And, and it went downhill. And a few players fell out with him. And, and stuff happened with that. And eventually, and she then moved on. We went to Everton, and we got and we got Chris, we got Chris Waddle. Now, obviously, I'd played against Chris, um, Sheffield Wednesday, known him, whatever, and I think he'll put his hand on his heart and say management wasn't for him. He came in, and obviously, played played all the top uh, Marseille, you know, Tottenham. I'm not going to say Sheffield Wednesday were a top club, uh, <laughs> and. He came in and and he he totally disrespected any senior player. uh, Wanted us all out. There were loads of players who he just bombed out straight away from minute one. And as the season went on, and he got from and he was wanting to play. And he finished up playing left wing, midfield, I think centre forward, and then he finished up playing sweeper just for him to play. Which, listen, he was a good player, but he was still wanted to play rather than be a coach or a manager. And as the season went on he, he slowly drip had to drip feed players back in Glen Glen little's the casing point of it um and we stayed up the last game of the season we beat Plymouth and um Glen uh, sorry him and Glenn Rode, Waddle and uh, Glenn Roder decided that were it. and uh, he, he, that, and he's never been he's never even looked like he's ever going to coach again chris and he he does a great job in the media now so that that's where he's gone but I think he had a little dipped to his toe in and it wasn't for him at all.
0: In terms of relegation, as you mentioned, what's that feeling like as a group of players? Because I imagine it's horrible.
1: Yeah. It, well, it is. I mean, Sheffield United, we went down, obviously, with the last kick of the game at Chelsea, which was like unbelievable. And then Burnley, we knew that was coming. So that, that, that was terrible. Uh, but we knew it was coming. And as a group of players, you know there's going to be changes. Then, once you've got a relegation, whether it's the manager, whether it's certain players, whether it's whatever, there's going to be change. And then once this change, are you part of it? Are you not part of it? And it and it can affect your not just your career, your your life as well, because you have, you might have to move, you might have to do with your kids and everything. So, relegations part and parcel of the game, but but not the nicest, not the the worst thing actually in football.
0: Who were the big characters at Burnley? I've recently interviewed Steve Davis and, and he's a big character.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, Steve Wilson. I mean, I was lucky enough to play with Steve before he moved on and uh, we became great friends, really, from it. Really, really good friends. And we had him, we had uh, Ted McMinn. Uh, t- uh, Ted was a real character. Unbelievable. Like However he were a footballer with those legs, I'll never know. But he, he, could, take, he could take defenders apart like, I don't think he knew how he did it sometimes, Ted. But he was great in the dressing room, unbelievable. And if you didn't stand up for yourself, he'd just oin you and oin you and oin you, Ted, all the time. We had Peter Swan, um, who was an, who was another crackpot. Um, but we had we had diff we had different ones. We had like um, we had quite an oldish sort of um, team at Burnley. So we had like Gary Parkinson at right back. Him and Steve Thompson, midfield player, they used to just be at each other all the time. They were like two bloody, uh, two old dears at each other. And it was just brilliant to watch them. We had David Ayres, who was never wrong. Ayres, he used to like, always always right and everything, but brilliant player. And we just used to have a, like I said there, it it was another place where they were were a great group of lads. And I think it was, like Burnley, I signed there because... Very similar to Sheffield United, passionate place. The supporters, you know, and if they can see you doing, you know, giving it everything, because of the the town and what it is, that's what it's about. Hard working, you know, industrial place, Burnley. Where you, if they see that, that's what they're happy with. And we had a group of players, majority who do that. And we had, we, I mean, I had four years there. I absolutely love it. I still live round round uh, Burnley now. in think and it's a great thing. I, I get stick off Burnley fans, obviously, now, because they're in Premier League and I have ever played for Burnley Premier League and blah, blah, blah. But, they, you know, I'm glad for them because it's brilliant that they're in there and to be holding their own is, is superb. It just shows you how, you know, a little bit of team spirit. I mean, Sean's done it now. Sean's that sort of manager. He gets a group of players and gets every, every ounce out of them. And that's, that's, that's what you get um, playing there. But, yeah, I mean, Character-wise, there, there, there was, uh, I suppose I were a bit of a character in the dressing room. I, I was the uh, old head. I used to keep it all, all nice and safe.
0: <laughs> in terms of Burnley, what's it like playing at Tuff Moor? Because in your career, you think Gig Lane, iconic venue, the old main road, um, Bramall Lane, Tuff Moor. You played at some of the, the real old-school, hearty yeah. the football grounds.
1: Yeah, I mean Burnley. When I went there, they had the long side as well. That was still up and running, you know, down there, which was superb. You know, we were in Championship when I went there, or whatever it was then. And and he is, he's, he's like I say, the passionate, the passionate. So if you're not doing well, they'll let you know. <laughs> so, but if they've got that buzz off you, um, if they get the buzz off the team, you get the buzz off the supporters. And then it becomes an electric place. And as an opposing player going there, it can be difficult because they're right on top of you. Um, and once once they get that turf war, you know, atmosphere, it's fantastic. Uh, and like I said, four years there, four brilliant years. I love, I love Burnley. It was a great place to go and play football. And I'm honoured. I'm honoured to go there. And I never actually thought of it like that. Like you say, Main Road is like a, a brilliant, iconic place. Gig Lane is a small one. Bramall Lane, obviously, and then Turf Moor. Yeah, I'm. I bet I've been lucky to have those as my homes.
0: And uh, in, indeed, then you, you you have a loan spell at Carlisle before then finishing your senior career with with Scarborough. What was the end of your career like after Burnley?
1: Um, well, I went to Carlisle. I would, like Waddle set me up there. Michael Knighton was chairman, <laughs> uh, who nearly bought Man United and who, who'd uh, seen UFOs. So. <laughs> So I, like? so I had a great idea I really enjoyed it at Carlisle I really enjoyed it and a great time and when I left to come back to Burnley he'd, he'd give me a letter night and say if they release you if, they, if you get free we're going to sign you so obviously they did release me and I got in touch with him and he went oh no I can't remember signing that letter <laughs> so that, that that went out the window and then I always wanted to go into coaching so I was 33 then Um and I thought I was going to get the reserve job at Burnley when Stan came in, Stan Turnant, but that, that's another story, and I, I didn't. And then so it was time for me to move on. And I went to, um, I was going to sign for Shrewsbury. I'd, I'd, I'd agreed terms. I were on my way to sign, and Mick Wadsworth got in touch with me from Scarborough and said, Will you come up two years and be player coach? And I thought, Well, that's, that's what I want to do. And it's the worst decision of my life. I should have carried on, and went to Shrewsbury. Why? Uh, Mick, Mick, Mick's an archetypal Yorkshireman. He's not the most happiest in the world and we were we were going through a bad time. So we weren't the happiest of managers. I didn't get to do much coaching and it was a nightmare. We didn't get paid our wages for three months. All sorts of stuff and calamitous. Obviously we went down with a goalkeeper scoring for Carlisle, the last kick of, last. Kick of the game. And to be fair, that, that Finish my career I'd, I'd had enough then I was 33 um a few personal stuff going on and I just thought it's not it's time to finish on and really probably wish now I'd carried on and start, signed for Jake King at Shrewsbury and just carried on and not gone back up the A1 towards um, Scarborough but listen that that's life and that's 20 odd years ago now um and it's it's what you do into it.
0: Well, as you say, it is what it is, but see, at the time, reflecting on it, did you fall out of love with football when it came to retiring yeah. after that? Yeah,
1: exactly. And that's, Calum, to be honest, um, we used to go out end of season. Uh, me, my brother-in-law's Alan Kelly, the goalkeeper, Um, um Kevin Gage, who played at Sheffield United, and he's now Burnley's goalkeeping coach, we were at Sheffield United for Billy Mercer. We used to always go for a drink end of season, or more than a drink, and we'd sit and talk football until it took over as the wine. And Gagey had retired. And he said, listen, you'll know when it's time to retire. And we all went, no, we're going to play until wherever, till our legs drop off, we want to do it. And he was spot on. At 33 after. I, I used to love training as much as I used to love playing. I trained like I played. I were 100%, wanted to give it everything I got. I loved the banter. I loved the dressing room. I loved everything about, about football, being part of it. And... I went to Scarborough and I fell out of love in a season. I hated the training. I hated... I, di- I didn't want to go training. I didn't want to... real The the fo- the play the playing on the Saturday, I still enjoyed a little bit. But when you knew you weren't going to get paid your wages and, and stuff, you just thought, I need to get out of this. I need to. And I was 33. I could have gone and played non-league. And I thought, no, I need, I need to do something else because I'm not going to be able to play it. And if I can't give 100% to something... I'm not going to be any good because I had to be a 100% sort of person. Um, I couldn't turn it on and off like a tap. So I turned down money, but I, I thought, I can't do it. I'm going to let people down. So I just needed to get out of it.
0: You see, you mentioned, thank you for being very honest with that, about getting out of it. What did you do when you retired initially? Well, I, um, I, my friend
1: was running the Burnley Community Scheme. So I finished up being a community coach. So I went from being a professional footballer to uh, 12 and a half grand a year, just doing that. And I earned the sort of money, and my pension hadn't kicked in, but I just needed to do something and I needed to do it quick. So I just went and coached. When I said coach, I wasn't coaching. I was going to like infant schools, putting cones down. We playing beanbags and stuff straight away from my me, from me football career. But I was doing some, Martin Dobson was academy director at Bolton. So I was, running the, I was helping to coach the under-15s, believe it or not, with Frank Stapleton, who was one of the best players I'd ever played against. So it went like that. And I'd always wanted to get in coaching. So I was doing that a couple of nights a week and a Sunday and doing the community scheme. And I got, I got into to doing that to make ends meet and get on with it. But football wasn't for me then to play. And like I say, it was probably a stupid thing to do, but um, I'm that sort of person when I make my mind up. I'm quite stubborn, I'm a Yorkshireman, and that was it.
0: <laughs> In terms of yourself, you also go on to become an assistant manager at Rochdale. Was that something you enjoyed, or was it frustrating because you wanted to no. be on number one? It, I, at the
1: time, Simo get, like, said that, but he carried on playing. So I finished up like doing the the talks, the half-time, and then, uh, before games, and too much really, I was too young to do that and not enough experience and you know it would have been great if if I could have been uh, assistant under just in managing it like I was brilliant great experience we had a great cup run and stuff like that but it was probably too much for me at that time looking back on it Um, and i really should I had to go up my own somewhere else probably thinking about it but I didn't then and the time passed and as it was, I I think we had a year at it, and then uh, that went again, (laughs) another one, so I had to move on from there.
0: You moved on from there, you get involved in the academy structure, you worked in the academy at Preston, and then further down the line at Sheffield United, being a manager in the academy, Um, did you enjoy academy football, or did you always want to get back to first team somewhere?
1: No, I I loved academy football. I loved coaching at Preston. That was unbelievable. I had that was there was Dean who was the academy manager as such, what they call. He just did that. There was me. There was Nick who Nick Harrison, who's now the academy manager there. Who was like assist, not assistant, but he ran the centre of excellence. And then we had a physio, Matt Barris. There was that. That was it. Three or four of us. And on a Saturday, that's it. One. Nick had take me warm-ups every morning and I'd coach every single day. And so I had hands on going back again to when I started on developing players and human beings. And that's what I always thought. The signing, here, the signing here at 16, I'm going to try and give them the best two years of their life because not all of them are going to be footballers, but I'm going to make them good human beings. And luckily we had a great time and we made a lot of them footballers, not always at Preston, well a lot still playing around but also good good young lads and still keep in touch with quite a lot through Facebook and seeing what they're up to and it's quite scary now actually because they came to me at 16 and now you see them and they've all got kids and they're all married and how time flies. But I love that. It was it was a great time and unfortunately that came to an end through Peter Ridsdale and Graham Wesley, but that you know and then I made another bad decision. Because I wanted to go back to Sheffield United and coach a U team, and within two weeks there, I realised I'd made the worst mistake of my life. Because Sheffield United weren't Sheffield United. Uh, I was working for an academy who hated the first team, uh, whose first team staff were absolutely top draw: Chris Morgan, Danny Wilson, uh, Billy Dearden, and the academy lads were just—they were well, they were yeah, they would. Half of them shouldn't have been working in an academy, but they, they were, and, and it was just toxic. And I left there within six months, uh, which was the best decision of my life. I could have left after two weeks, and six months it was actually affecting me, me mentally. You know, Driving over every day was just killing me. It was great being on the pitch with the lads, but in the office and, and all the politics of an academy was just like, wow, this is ridiculous. So I was glad when that came to an end um but then that that was hard then. That was hard because I knew I'd I'd left and I, I, I didn't know where my next thing was going to be to get back into football,
0: to be honest. From there,
1: what have you been on to do since? Well, f- from there I then I finished up getting five jobs. <laughs> I um I finished up coaching in the college and was lucky enough to get involved through Andy Bays at BBC Radio Lancashire and Howard Booth, my friend. Who works for uh, Northwest Tonight and finished up doing a few shows on the television, but with Radio Lancashire, finished up doing commentary for three years and covering up. And I love that, doing the commentary, summarizing. And through that, bumping into people at matches, I got a job with the FA uh, doing uh, scouting for seniors part time. I know, uh, which led to me going to the Euros in 2016, having three weeks doing that, which was an unbelievable experience. And whatever anybody says about Roy Hodgson, he's the most honourable um, humility of a man I've ever met. What a top, top man he was. he was. He made you feel as if you were playing for England, even though you were his scouts. He was brilliant. I also, my, my friend who I played with at Berry, Liam Robinson, Robertson, he's a tree surgeon. So once a week I used to go over and labour for him doing cutting down tree and pulling all like that. I used to do that just to make ends meet. And then luckily after the 2016 um, Euros, I got a phone call from Dave Unsworth at Everton to see if I wanted to be under 23 scout for them. So I went in 2016 under 23 scout at Everton and now I'm lead life first team scout. So I go all over the place uh, doing stuff for Everton. Yeah.
0: In terms of the scouting, is that something you've found a real passion for?
1: Well, yeah, I have
0: actually, Callum, and it's one thing, when I
1: played, when I coach, I'm never going to be a scout, because it's, it's just old men with flat caps who want to drink a tea, and I'm not doing being a scout, and from the first match I went to and did my report, I absolutely loved it, I, I'm passionate about it, I just love it, I think again, because I'm a Yorkshireman, I say what I mean, I write what it. say, <laughs> I write it all down, I'm honest in my opinion, and and I, I, um, luckily I, p- I played at a decent level, coached at a decent level, so you see the game uh, in different ways, and uh, yeah, I love it, I love it, and I've been very lucky, I've, I've travelled the world doing it as well, so
0: uh, I've met some fantastic people in the scouting network as well. In terms of working at Everton, it must be great, obviously the club is, is, is a historic club in, in the country, and with Carlo Ancelotti now, it must be amazing to, to work alongside him. Yeah, I must admit it's. Uh, I mean, it, you know, when it's a work work alongside him,
1: you see, Carl, and I must admit when he walks down the co- corridor, obviously he's my sort of era, and like what a player he was, and it's like you're like after, say he's Calciolati, and you know he's just a he's just a great guy. Um, I, I've read his book about leadership, and this was before he came actually, and how he is, and he's just chilled, he's just calm, and about. And you look at some of the players he's dealt with in his career. Wow. Uh, and, and you just think, yeah, they, hopefully it's going to be good times. He's a, Like I say, he's a really good bloke, really. No ego or anything. And, um, yeah, top man.
0: I wish you all the best for the future, but I'd like to finish with around the fire questions. First of all, being cool. best players you played with. Sorry? Best players you played with.
1: Best players I've played with are goalkeeper Alan Kelly. Uh, Glenn Hodges left wing and Brian Dean centre forward oh great choices best players you've played against uh, we'll to, uh, Gaza Eric Cantona, um Frank Stapleton Brian Robson and probably Ian Wright as well oh. when, you, when he oh at Arsenal Ian Wright and Kevin Campbell together oh my gosh Yeah, <laughs> brilliant
0: absolutely brilliant who would you say was your most
1: underrated teammate? Underrated teammate. Uh, <laughs> underrated teammate would be Dane Whitehouse at Sheffield United. In in the sense that yeah, Sheffield United fans loved him, Dane, and unfortunately by a bad injury, he, he had to finish early. But he would have gone on to be some player, and I think would have probably left Sheffield United and gone and played in one of the top six clubs. Yeah
0: best manager of your career and why um
1: two really I've got to say two Martin Dobson because he saw potential in me where I was at my lowest and got that potential out of me Uh, brilliant on on a coaching sense he showed me what to do whatever and then on on a sense of Team building and team management and team spirit and getting a group of players together has to be Harry, Dave Bassett. Unbelievable. Which I think Chris Wilder takes a lot from him now, actually. Favourite
0: goal you scored during your career?
1: Favourite goal I scored. Um there's this actually it's one what never ever gets shown. Uh, but it's one against Crystal Palace at Bramble Lane. I think it was 91 I think would it be 91 no 90 yeah that's a winter of 91 Palace and it's um an header from edge box I've played it out wide Brandon crosses it and I know this sounds a bit like you know Robin Robin Van Persie when he scored that header in World Cup it's a bit my dad said a bit similar to that one I don't know if it is but yeah <laughs> uh, everybody says me goal for Berry against Bolton or whatever but that one, Um I enjoyed scoring that one. And when I watch it now, I think, how bloody hell did I score that? For those
0: of us that don't know, describe the Sheffield derby and what it was like. Oh, wow.
1: The first ever derby I played in was 91. Um First derby in the top flight for 21 years. We obviously were bottom of the league. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday were third or fourth. By all accounts, taking bets on how many they'd be up after th- uh, four 30 minutes and blah 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 they got Sheridan, Colton Palmer all of them, wore us, the lot Roland Nielsen, Chris Woods the lot and when we came out I have never felt atmosphere at Bramwell and it was a Sunday and it was just electric and as soon as we kicked off I knew we were going to win the game because I remember a fracar after about five minutes and something happened and all ten of us were in, every single ten and I saw Roland Nielsen Roland Nielsen just looked like a rabbit in the headlights, just stared as if to say, what am I playing in here? And we we won 2-0, uh,
0: and he was the best feeling ever. <laughs> uh, a few non-football ones for you. Beach holiday or city break? Oh,
1: wow. I love Italy, so uh, I'd say oh, city or whatever, yeah. Probably probably cities now, yeah. As I've got all the city break, yeah, yeah. Favourite band? Favourite band? Favourite band, I love all. I love everything, to be honest. I've, my, my music selection is... Uh, let's have a look. Who have we got? Who have we got at the moment? Who do I like at the moment? I do like a bit of Oasis, I've got to say. Oh, but I God. do... No, no. Well, Oasis, no, it's come to me. Elbow. I love Elbow. Fantastic. Favourite film? Favourite film? Uh, oh, i tell you what. Um, recent one, actually. What? Uh, Green Book. Good choice. Yeah, have you not, um, yeah, I like Green Book. Yeah, yeah. Or F- Mike Bassett, Football Manager. Oh, it's hilarious. That, 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 I could watch that. I could watch that ten times a day. Don't mean it's like a classic film, but Mike, that's it. Football Manager, yeah. Favorite beer? Favorite beer, uh, Moretti.
0: Oh, lovely, great choice. Um, The last question I've got for you, Jamie, is: if you were a player now, which manager in world football would you want to play for, and why?
1: Which manager? Yes. Chris Wilder, Sheffield United.
0: With Chris Wilder <laughs> as a manager, I must say, somebody I totally admire. I think he's absolutely incredible. The job he's done everywhere he's been is second to none. Just how far do you think he can take Sheffield United? Um, I, that's a difficult one because, I mean,
1: people are going to say they're never going to be top six, they're never going to be that, but I, I just don't know. I just... Obviously he's he's a massive blade as well, Chris. You know, he's he's Chef United. So for him to leave uh for when he's took him as far, it'll be a massive, massive uh, thing for him to do. But I think I mean Europe this season, if if it does all start again, it'd be an unbelievable achievement. And then obviously he's got it all to do next season. So uh but I think he will. I think he'll be all right next season. I think he's proved all, all the time. You know, if you look at his managerial, managerial career from starting running the Bradway, which was a pub team, <coughs> and Halifax, all, all the way through, he just does it all the time. Whatever challenges comes, he meets them and, and goes on. And he's so down to earth and, and speaks, to, speaks it as it is. That's why I think people like him, to be honest. And his team's play decent football
0: no they absolutely do and I wish them all the best I wish you all yeah. the best I just want to say thank you very much for coming on the podcast I've absolutely loved chatting to you thank you
1: <laughs> no I've really enjoyed it Callum thank you very much for having us on
0: so we'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make our home in a deep sea cave and our will all be open they'll be filled with song they'll be filled with song we'll dive down to the ocean I will make her home in a deep sea cave and her shells will all be open. I'll be filled with song, I'll be filled with song.